you know, uh, we're highlighting a couple different stories of the church uh, living on mission. That's us uh, uh, praying, giving, and going towards the work of God to bring the gospel uh, to all people, our neighbors, coworkers, and friends, and to all nations. Uh, Joseph Sharon is doing a mighty work uh, in India, and we have begun partnership with them, uh, both reaching unreached folks, like literally um, walking through the jungle uh, to go bring the gospel to folks who have never heard the gospel, uh, supporting uh, pastors who are riding motorbikes to remote uh, villages to, to start a church there. So uh, an amazing work uh, in India that we're now getting involved in our first or now second trip uh, is going this coming year. Andy, Ronald, and others are going on that. Uh, and then I also wanted to share uh, just a, a, this picture with us. I got this text uh, a week ago uh, from Kenneth Jones. Um, Kenneth uh, sent me this picture of David. Uh, I don't know if you remember Kenneth. We sent uh, him out uh, years ago uh, as a part of a church plant, uh, Redeemer City Church. And he has since started a Redeemer House in D.C. And he wrote this uh, in the text to me. He said, this is our newest resident at Redeemer's house, David. He was released from prison last Monday. These are pictures of him getting to spend Thanksgiving with his family for the first time in 21 years and seeing his daughter for the first time in five years. He came to our service on Sunday. I just bought him a Bible, and we've made plans to read and study the Bible together. Pray for David's transition into society and his salvation to the Lord. I mean, isn't that awesome? Uh, so uh, you, yeah, yeah, Annalise, yeah, we can clap for that. Um, you know, so this past year, we, the church, uh, gave $19,000 to help Redeemer uh, House get off the ground. You know, and that was after kind of coaching, supporting Kenneth as he started Redeemer City Church years ago. Now he started this transitional home. And, and praise God, you know, just praise God for the work that is uh, happening in our church, but then also through us. Uh, in folks like David's life and his family. I mean, 21 years and then five years since he's uh, seen his family. Just amazing stuff. Uh, and, and even just uh, yesterday, a, a group of about 15 folks uh, helped resettle a refugee family right here in D.C. And so um, some of you who went are still probably sore because they carried a couch up uh, 10 sets of stairs to the apartment uh, to, to prepare this home for this family. Just awesome stuff. And, and what I want us to do, uh, if you have your card, you should have gotten one when you came in. If not, please snag an on-mission card on the way out. Uh, all of us uh, this end of year are, are praying, giving, and going. Uh, what's it look like for you, for me, uh, to engage with the work of God that, that he's doing here at the well uh, in David's life, uh, in refugee resettlement, in foster care, uh, overseas in India and Kenya and Costa Rica? Uh, what would it look like for you? So we, we were saying, hey, look, pray about it. What's God calling you to do? Is he calling you to engage in something locally or internationally? And then what's he calling you to give? Uh, we we want to give a, a ton of cash at the end of the year. Uh, so that we can engage in these works and start our international works uh, off and build those partnerships, but then also continue to engage uh, more here at home in local ministries. And then go, where, where is he calling you to go overseas or here for the work of the gospel? Now let's all jump in on that uh, before the 31st that we might see God doing a, a mighty work heading into this new year as we all get on mission together. Uh, I have a, a crazy passage for us to read this morning. It's Mark 13. We're going through the book of Mark, and we're looking at our, uh, our king who finds himself on a cross. Uh, he's in Jerusalem. This is the last week of his life uh, here on earth before his crucifixion, and then he is 
uh, ascends into heaven. And the passage is Mark chapter 13, verse 24 and following. He's talking about the end times. I'm just going to read the passage for us, and then we'll get into the scripture together. So turn there with me, Mark chapter 13, verses 24 to 37. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and put on its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or even when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Uh, This is a very fitting passage for Advent, because uh, Advent... Uh, In this season, we find ourselves at the end and the beginning, kind of this pivot moment in the life of the church, the church calendar, the uh, liturgy that church has used for hundreds of years uh, when thinking about Jesus' life and his return. See, Advent in December uh, looks forward to the second coming of Christ, when Jesus will arrive or come back for the second time. Uh, But then the church calendar starts afresh in January, and and this is a reminder of uh, the birth of Jesus at the end of December, heading into January, that he has come, that he has advented or come. But but, but now we're kind of at the uh, middle, in between the two, of when Jesus has come and looking forward to when he will return. There's this tension of he's come and he's returning, but we're here now. In his broken world, I I feel the effects of sin personally. You look around and we see the effects of sin corporately in in his creation and it's groaning, longing for his return. And this passage takes place when Jesus has entered Jerusalem. He's headed towards the cross and he's leaving the temple where all of Jewish worship takes place, where, where the people of God meet God in worship and sacrifice. And, and he comes out of the temple in verse 1 of chapter 13. And one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what a wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. It's all going to crumble. 
And then he walks across the Kidron Valley just outside of Jerusalem in the temple where he and his disciples were just. And then he sits opposite the temple, the text says in verse 3. And Peter, James, and John, and Andrew ask him privately, tell us, Jesus, when will these things be? When will this temple be torn down and the end of time come? And, and when will it be accomplished? And then Jesus kind of launches into this teaching of his second advent. His return that everyone's waiting for. He, he has come, but he will come. And he talks about the end of time all through chapter 13. Now, I don't know how you get when you're in your seat and you start to hear about the end of time, the Armageddon, right? the, the final battle, or, or, or however kind of you've associated this idea. I, I, I often think of this moment. I, I had started my first pastoral job in Dallas. You know, this is hometown here in Maryland, but we spent seven years in exile, I like to call it, in Dallas. And I uh, got this job at Northwest Bible Church with, uh, under Jeff Lawrence, who is the head of uh, adult education and discipleship. And, and he's the reason I really uh, I wanted to go work there, as a, uh, to learn from him as a pastor. And so I had great respect for him, and, but I didn't know his humor. He was very kind of dry in his humor. And so I show up in my office, and I'm, uh, you know, first office, first pastoral work, and he's gonna, I'm so excited to work with him. And, uh, you know, I'm unloading books, and, and then he comes to my office, and he goes, Matt. I've got a really special book for you. And I'm like, fantastic, man. I'm, not, you know, I'm here to learn. And, and he hands me the 1980s Countdown to Armageddon by Hal Lindsey. Wrote the late great Planet Earth. They're kind of in that elk of, uh, uh, of uh, Kirk Cameron, right? Um, uh, and and, the, and the, oh, what was that? What was that uh, series call where it's... Uh, Left Behind series. Remember how long that was, right? Uh, and, and, and so, you know, the, the 1980s, Countdown to Armageddon. Well, well, Hal Lindsey goes through and he says, you know, Russia is moving this way and that fulfills this scripture. And then this empire is coming this way and that fulfills this scripture. And, and in 1980, somewhere in 1983, four or five, somewhere in the 80s, uh, we're going to see Armageddon. I'm sure of it. And the 80s have come and gone. And the billboards, maybe you've seen them, they pop up every once in a while. The end of the world is coming on this date. And I don't know what that does for you, but, uh, you know, the end times have often been misused or misunderstood. And so much so, and he wrote on the book to me, uh, from me to you for your edification. <laughs> and I thought he was serious. So I put it on my bookshelf, and then he's like, what are you doing with that book? But we misuse or we misunderstand the end times, so much so that as individuals and as a church, what we do, well, we just don't talk about it. Or we don't think it's real, or we think it's kind of goofy, or it's a left-behind kind of thing, or it's that kind of weird movie, or that kind of weird book. And, or it's that guy on the street corner who's got that uh, bullhorn. You're like, that's, that's for the crazy Christians. Well, in the middle of Jesus' teaching about the end of time, just listen to some of his words here. Verse 14 and following. He's talking about when he's going to return and all these signs beforehand. Verse 14, he says it like this. And when you see the abomination of desolation, standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is in the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. 
Oh, alas, for women who are pregnant in those days and for those who are nursing infants in those days. And, and pray that it may not happen in the winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be again. Do you hear the words, the details? He says, man, I hope it's not wintertime. Pray that it's not the wintertime. Oh, man, for those who are pregnant or nursing, that's going to be really tumultuous. When, when the, the clouds are open and when the tribulation precedes it, when those days come, oh, my gosh, it's going to be crazy. I hope it's not winter because you're, you're going to have to scramble around and get your coats ready. Or it's going to be so cold outside when you're fleeing. Right? Like, you read this and you say, this is actually going to happen. This is actually going to happen. I hope it's not winter time. I hope you don't find yourself pregnant at that time or nursing a child. Like it, it, it's actually going to happen. And now all these passages on the end times, this one, Matthew 24, 25, Daniel 7 and following, all, all these are very, they're very cloudy passages. They're often hard to understand. In this one, you know, uh, Jesus is blending his teaching. Uh, he's talking about these days and those days. And, and the first kind of half of the passage, he's really focusing on these days. This, this moment when he's here on earth. And, and they're in the 60s AD when, when Mark is writing this book. And, and what's happening is about 66 to 70 AD is this kind of uh, rebellion. There's all this persecution that's now taking place too. And, and then in 70 AD, you have the destruction of the temple. It's, a, it's one of these huge blocks, right? Uh, 48 feet by 11 feet wide, uh, over a million tons. They're destroyed. The whole temple is destroyed. Titus comes in and rips the whole thing down. And, and so in this first half of the passage, Jesus is kind of talking about these days, these moments right before the temple's destruction. And he cues us with that by using these days. And then about halfway through, he starts blending the two of, of these days that look a lot like those days. And he starts using that phrase a bit more, that, that, that these days of destruction and antichrist and all these other things and, and earthquakes are, are a template for those days to come when he returns a second time. So these days picture those days as we wait for his final return. Uh, so if you're taking notes here, uh, verses 1 to 13 really focus on these immediate historic contexts right before the destruction of the temple. Verses 14 to 31 kind of have this blend, the middle of his teaching. And then 32 to 37 really focuses fully on those days, the final end of time. And what I want to do is just kind of give us an overview of what he's saying in this passage and an overview of the teaching of Jesus' second coming because this is real, and Jesus is actually coming back. Uh, so what's he do primarily in this passage? What is Jesus doing when his disciples ask him the question, when will we know? When will we know? When's, when's that day going to be? Uh, they want to know when. That's what they're most concerned with. And what Jesus is going to do, he's going to uh, show them in these days, which, which then keep ratcheting up into those days, a template of what is happening now into what will happen in greater magnitude right before Jesus comes back. There's all these signs. 
And he goes through them. Uh, we'll just list them here. There's Antichrist in verses 5 to 6. That's the these days focus. And if you read in history, you'll see there's this guy from Egypt who talks about, man, I can part the Jordan Seas, right? Like, or the, the Jordan River. I'm just like Jesus, that Savior you guys follow. I'm the Savior. And so people follow him. And then there's this uh, other guy that purports to do miracles, and they, they follow him. There's all these kind of Antichrists that are taking people away from the true gospel of Jesus. Verses 5 to 6, right before the destruction of the temple. But then, in those days to come, we see also the sign of the Antichrist in 21 and 22. Those who are going to come and say, I'm the one you should be following right before Jesus returns. And he says, man, beware. Don't be led astray by them. Or then there's wars, and there's wars way back here. There's wars now, and wars will ratchet up before the return of Christ. There's famine and earthquake, and, and you can read about these in the history book. You can read about them today. As, uh, we then wait for right before the return of Christ how it all ratchets up in this time of the tribulation. There's persecution and there's preaching. Uh, Jesus says uh, the gospel has to go out to all nations before he returns. And, and then there's, uh, as we see the gospel takes roots in individuals' lives and families' lives, he says brother's going to turn against brother. Sister against sister. Families be torn apart by the good news of the gospel as someone says, I trust in Jesus. And then they're outcast by a brother or a mom or a dad. As it's happening then, it will so then ratchet up right before the end when Jesus returns. And then there's this passage of verse 14 and following of the abomination of desolation. And most likely that's referring in, in these days to the context of Titus destroying the temple and, and ripping it to shreds. But it also then is a scriptural kind of technical term to say, man, there is this abomination of desolation in 1 Thessalonians or Daniel chapter 7 to 12 and all this idea of there's going to be this kind of one main leader, Antichrist, who kind of sits on the throne in opposition to Christ but then is crushed by Jesus. And then the moon and the stars, just listen to this passage, right? Moon and stars as it gets more cosmic, uh, pointing more forward and more explicitly towards those days of Jesus' return. Verse 24, in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and the gatherers elect from the four winds of the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. You see how cosmic this is? A, a, a massive battle of judgment on evil, uh, but also a massive restoration when he's gathering his people to himself and he makes all things new and right here on earth forever. In those days... These are the signs of the things to come. Sounds like something fell out there. <laughs> and notice the two images that go through when we're looking at these signs. Uh, the first is found in verse 8. And these are about the beginning of birth pains. If you've given birth or been in the room when someone's giving birth, you, you mark the birth pains, right, and contractions to say, how close are we to when the baby comes? And Jesus says, when you see these things, and then particularly when you see them increasing, and then particularly when you see the Son of Man coming on the clouds and angels gathering God's people, man, you know this is it. Birth pains, signs pointing to the baby to come, this new rebirth. And then the other image of these signs is found in verse 28. 
Verse 28 and following, we learn from the fig tree its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know the summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. He says, in essence, you can count on it. If I say these things will happen, Jesus says, my words are true. They will not pass away. It will come to pass. And it will be just like this fig tree. You see the, the buds, the leaves coming. You know summer is near. In the same way when you see these things and they get ratcheted up more and more, you know the end is near. This is real. Now, it's cloudy, so it's important we know some of the scriptural context as we've talked a little bit about the historic context. Uh, these are some key passages. I would say, hey, even this Christmas, this Advent, where we're celebrating uh, particularly his birth and his life, his death, his resurrection, uh, don't forget the other Advent, the second Advent that Advent points to, which is his return. I'd say uh, look into these passages this Advent to see the different elements of Jesus' final return and restoration of all things. In Daniel chapter 7 to 12, uh, we have empires focused on it. And Daniel uh, is in the time of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire, which will lead in the Persian Empire, and, and then other empires into the, finally the Roman Empire, which, which will then uh, will have that rebellion that we talked about in 66 to 70, and, and they're crushed. And then we'll have Jesus' empire when the Son of Man the Ancient of Days returns. And so we've got this idea of empires and kingdom in Daniel chapter 7, that element of Jesus' return and, and the king coming to rule and reign over all kingdoms. The Son of Man, not, not this kind of uh, humble uh, Savior who's come on a donkey in his first advent, but this mighty Son of Man who's going to come on a war horse in his second advent. Matthew 24 and 25, and here in Mark chapter 13, we've got this idea of what are the signs of the end of time? What does that look like? How do I know when to expect it? And we sometimes call that the tribulation or this kind of all these signs that hit when things get a bit terrible right before his return. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, we have this idea of a, a bodily resurrection, that what God is after is, is giving us uh, new bodies that are eternal bodies that will worship him and enjoy him forever. That we won't be in some spirit kingdom up in the heavens, but that Jesus will actually bring a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth here. And as uh, Romans chapter 1 uh, talks about and 2, that, that all of earth, all, all of his creation is groaning and waiting for its redemption. That this will be a physical kingdom, a new creation here on earth where God doesn't give up on us or his earth that he's made, that though we're broken, though his earth and creation is broken, he'll come and restore it all. We'll have physical bodies living without sin here on earth, uh, worshiping our Savior forever, enjoying everything as it ought to have been. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and 2 Thessalonians chapters 1 and 2, we have this uh, kind of focus in on the moment of Jesus' return. And how he'll uh, rapture up his saints to himself as he comes down and then uh, reigns and rules with us for all of eternity by his grace and power. And then in Revelation chapters 1, the whole book uh, to 22, we have really the whole story of uh, God's salvation, how he planned it all in Christ and then brings it to culmination. Jesus comes, we're resurrected to judgment and to restoration individually and all of his creation into all of eternity.
And so these are passages in the overview of what will happen at the end of time. Well, what's kind of a, a timeline? What, what will this look like from now to then? We have the first advent, and, and kind of even before that, if you go back into all of eternity, we have God the Father planning, man, this is how I'm going to redeem and restore my broken creation. And then we have Jesus descending. He's born of the Virgin Mary. He, he lives a sinless life. He, he finds himself crucified on the cross by choice for our sins. And then he resurrects. And then he ascends into heaven. That's Advent number one. Now, after Jesus' ascension, uh, uh, right before that, as he's teaching, he says, now we're in the last days. This is kind of the end of God's cosmic timeline, right? Like, uh, we're in the last days. Uh, even as the book is written to the Thessalonians, they're, they're thinking, oh, my gosh, this is kind of Jesus' second return could come any moment. Like, uh, they quit their jobs, a lot of them. Like, why, you know, why work? And they're getting it all wrong. Actually, that should, uh, Jesus' return should help them engage more deeply in following him. And that's why the book of First and Second Thessalonians are written to correct their thinking. Uh, but we're living in these last days as we wait for then uh, these moments, these signs when the tribulation will be ratcheted up even more and more. And we'll say all these things are right before Jesus' return to earth where there might be some sort of rapture where we're caught up to him and brought right back down with him to reign and rule along with him. There's a, a resurrection of the dead, both those who are in Christ and those who are not trusting in Christ for judgment and restoration individually and then in all of creation. This is a rough kind of time. Now, people argue like crazy about the different events and how do you interpret this in Revelation and that in Daniel chapter 7. Uh, but it, it seems to me through the scriptures that this is a fitting timeline for generally how Jesus' return will take place. And then we go into all of eternity, worshiping our God and Savior together by His grace. That's the timeline. It's all argued about, uh, all the elements are argued about, but uh, here's how I'd like to summarize Jesus' return and what is core and critical to it. Jesus, judgment, and joy. Jesus, judgment, and joy. Uh, the first aspect, and, uh, and then I'm going to read this passage, you can see if you can find these in them. The first aspect is that Jesus will return physically, the, the Jesus, the eternal Jesus, our Savior, uh, who was uh, born a baby, uh, risen, and is our Savior. He will return himself to bring both judgment and joy, restoration in our lives and for all of creation. Listen to Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 8. Listen for Jesus, for judgment, and for joy says this, when I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am now making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be to me as a son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Jesus, judgment, and joy. He will return. Now, if you're like me, you'll kind of read these passages and say, oh, man, I've got to figure out when, what's going to happen here, how's that going to happen, how's it fit with this. And we should do some investigating there. But uh, the disciples, their, their heads are probably spinning at this moment it's, as Jesus is telling them all these things, all these signs that are going to come. And, and, and then he hits them with this in verse 32 and 33. He says, but concerning that day, that, remember, that's what they asked at the beginning. They're like, when's this going to happen? Concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know that when the time will come, it's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his own work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. And see, I think Jesus is saying here, hey, look, this isn't about a future timeline. This is about present faithfulness. This isn't about how you're going to order all the events of tomorrow. It's about how you're going to live today. Jesus says, I don't even know when I'm coming back. <laughs> I love it. He limits his deity in this way and saying, man, it's almost like when I, when I, uh, I want to watch a soccer game I've just missed, right? The World Cup is on. Please don't tell me who's won the last three, four matches. I'm going to watch them today. What I'll do is I'll just kind of I'll close my eyes or I'll look away a little bit when I'm scrolling down to the one I'm going to replay so I don't see all the uh, uh, highlights of the other matches. And, and Jesus is here saying, hey, look, it's not like my eyes don't work. I haven't lost that power, right? I'm just choosing not to exercise it. It's like when he comes to earth and he's hungry. Well, look, he's God. And in one sense, he doesn't need to eat. He can say, as God, man, uh, fill me up. I'm, I'm full now. I don't need to eat at all. But he's also chosen to limit his deity in a way where he's no less God, but he's chosen to take on hunger as well. Here he says, look, even I don't know when this is going to happen because it's not about when or what the timeline's going to be like. It's about are you awake in the Lord now? Are you ready for my return? And are those around you ready for my return? You ought to be like a doorkeeper who's perched at the door, waiting with your whole life for Jesus' return and making sure everyone in the house is ready for Jesus' return. It's not about future timelines. It's about present faithfulness. Stay awake. I was, uh, you know, dating Courtney. Uh, I was I just graduated college. I was in uh, Virginia as a teacher, and Courtney was in Maryland at Salisbury. And so, you know, we're dating, we're engaged now, and so every weekend I'm gonna go visit her, right? Like, and uh, uh, so I drive. There's three and a half hours over the Bay Bridge down, and and then you know you're in love, right? So you're gonna squeeze every minute out of that visit. So it's like it's 2 a.m. on Sunday night most weekends, and I'm driving back from Salisbury to Mary Washington, right in Fredericksburg where I'm teaching. 
And here's what's happening. Most, most Sunday nights at 2 a.m., I'm driving on my own. I mean, I got, I got all the windows rolled down. It's freezing outside. I'm like, perfect. I got to stay awake. And then I'm, I'm, I'm pumping that radio. I'm just singing as loud as I can. But guess what? I'm still drowsy, and my head still keeps going down. So I'm literally going... And I'm hitting myself most weekends, Sunday night at 2 a.m., because it is that critical I stay awake behind the wheel. I'm telling you, though, we, I, many of us have just fallen asleep. We just, our eyes have become too easily adjusted to the darkness. This is just the way life is. My relationships are broken. I just go to work and do it. It is what it is. Oh, that neighbor, that, that family, they'll never come to know Christ. Uh, cancer, that's just part of another death. Yeah, it's just part of life. We forget eternity and what God is doing and he's begun and what he's, he's doing in our life now and what he's preparing us for for all of eternity. Now, how do you fall asleep? Well, I told you I've been watching all these soccer games. And I'll stream them late at night. You know, there's not much time at 10 a.m. or uh, 2 p.m. to watch them. And so I'll just stream them on Fox late at night. And, you know, here's what happens about most 70th minutes for me, even if it's an awesome game. I mean, saw Brazil, Croatia, that's something. <laughs> I got three more today to do. About 70th minute. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. Oh, oh, boy, okay. Oh, stay awake. Oh. It's just an incremental sleep that comes over us till this is just you're just out it's just spending a little bit more time on the phone or just humdrumming it to work every day in and out forgetting the eternal nature of parenting forgetting the eternal nature of the people we work with forgetting that Jesus is actually coming back he's actually coming back I hope it's not winter time because that'd be terrible if it was freezing cold, right? Actually coming back. Stay awake. Here's how I'd summarize what staying awake is. Living with an eternal perspective and an eternal urgency. Eternal perspective is to say, I'm going to live for then, right now. As Matthew chapter 6 will say, I make, make the priority of eternity your treasure. Uh, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven and all of eternity uh, because uh, today is just raw moth and rust. Now, it's not like this idea of, oh, it's just a burning ship. Let it sink, and here I go. I'll just, all I'm going to do is talk about Jesus. But it is to say, hey, bring the justice that you know will last for all of eternity today and let it carry on. Uh, love your neighbor the way you're called to and will get to all of eternity now today. And by God, by all means, proclaim the good news of the gospel. Live with the priority of eternity right now today. It changes. It reverse engineers the way we live our lives. Where do we spend our money? How bold are we with the good news? Uh, how do we build relationships? Why do we build relationships? Why do we have everything we have today? In light of eternity, we reverse engineer it all in preparation for Jesus' return that, that as a doorkeeper, we would be ready and pleasing to him and everyone in our house would be ready and pleasing to him. Eternal perspective, living for then, now, is a priority first. It's also, it reshapes every moment of now, right? There's hope and suffering and gratitude and celebration. 
There's hope in suffering if we have an eternal perspective, uh, looking uh, towards all of eternity and letting the end shape the beginning right now. As we suffer, we say, man, I must suffer with a hope knowing one day he's going to restore my daughter. Knowing one day there will be no more cancer. Knowing one day every broken relationship is going to be mended. I'm going to live now in light of and in hope of eternity. Eternal perspective. Also in my celebration, I had a great party last night with with some of my uh, favorite people. And and guess what? That was a, a foretaste, a pointing forward to all of eternity. To say, oh, what a joy it will be and gratitude and thanks to God now as we look forward to forever. Eternal perspective, living for then, now. It's also eternal urgency. If he can come at any moment, then every moment has eternal purpose. If he could come back at any moment, then every moment today has eternal purpose and worth. It's impregnated with the, the, the purpose of getting ready for tomorrow in an urgent kind of way. Would I be doing this now if I knew he was going to open the door just right now and step in? What would my life look like? How would I use it? Yeah, I spent five hours yesterday watching wrestling. And now if you've ever been to a wrestling meet, uh, my son's a junior, and you know, five hours of watching wrestling means like probably about 30, 40 seconds of wrestling you get to see. <laughs> it's like a swim meet if you're ever in swimming. Uh, you get to see a little bit of match, right, for that whole long time. But then I look back and I think, oh, mate, eternal purposes in every moment of that day got to spend good time with a friend and talk about how do we care for our daughter and our families together now i'm standing there and i look some of this was just by happenstance that eternal moments uh, uh, were captured as we spent five hours of quote wasted time right uh, the coach comes over to me and he's saying hey we got to get jake this is one of the assistant coaches we got to get jake a new mouthpiece he's having a hard time breathing i'm like totally yeah let's do it how do we do it and he's got this 3d printer so we're gonna do this thing he's telling me all about it. he's like i just gotta find time to you know drop off one of my daughters at your house and then uh you, you know i'll take jake and we'll go take care of this thing i said perfect and, and and then he starts just sharing about how he and his daughter are going through this really tough time and she's going through a particularly very challenging time and he just starts opening up now, now, here's what I want to do. Oh, man, yeah, okay, go get him. Hope that goes well. <laughs> but then this little thing hits me. I'm like, ask him if you can pray for him. I'm like, nah. No, we're, look, we're in a crowded gym. Eternity. I said, hey, this is so weird, but could I pray for you? He's like, no. I'm like, yeah. He's like, sure. <laughs> I said, okay. And so I just put my hand on him and prayed for him and his daughter that God would meet them with power and strength and mend their relationship and care for her. And then my, my son, he you know, had a couple, couple matches where he just pinned the guy three times. I'm like, whoa, yeah. And then he got slaughtered the rest of the tournament. I mean, destroyed. <laughs> He's so down. And I walk over to him in the middle of his team. I'm like, hey, come here. Give him a big hug. Man, I'm so proud of you. He's like, it was 30 seconds, Dad. <laughs> I know, but buddy, I'm so proud of you for the fight you have for those 30 seconds. Because I want him to know, man, you've got a father who loves you regardless of results. And I hug him and I tell him that I love you, man. And, and then I said, I even said, can I pray for you? He's like, Dad. I'm like, okay, real quick. <laughs> Eternal moments. All in preparation, knowing man, that this goes into all of eternity when Jesus returns. An eternal urgency, if he can come at any moment, every moment matters. Let's use our moments for him.
Uh, here's what I want you to do. Grab your phone out. If something gets on my calendar, I know it's going to happen, right? And I want you to pull out your calendars because, uh, you know, when you put an event on your calendar, it shapes the way you live in preparation for that event. Sometimes you'll add an event because of that event. Sometimes you'll take in a, away an event because of that event that's to come. And, and, and sometimes, like, that event's so important or something, it'll change the way you live in all the different events of your week heading up to it. And, and here's what I want us to do. This is real. This day is coming. So go ahead to your calendar. Go to... December 26th, and you will have just celebrated Jesus' first Advent. Go ahead, December 26th, and put on uh, the return of Jesus. All-day event? Uh, make it an all-day event. I don't know how long it'll last. Now go ahead and hit repeat. Uh, and go ahead... Uh, and have it repeat annually, every year on the 26th. This day is coming. Might it change every aspect of our lives as we wait for his return when he makes all things new. We get to live with him and enjoy him. Might we be ready? You know, Jesus, uh, when he institutes this last supper, he... He says these crazy words. He says, you know, when, when you take this bread and break it as a reminder of my broken body for you, you take this cup and you drink it as a reminder of the blood spilled for you. He says this. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you come together until I return again. When he institutes it, when he says, hey, when you take this meal... Do it as a reminder of what I did on that first Advent until I come again, until I come back, because I'm coming back. And he says, the next time I drink it, I'm going to drink it in, in the new kingdom along with you when he makes all things new. So you keep drinking this. You keep remembering what a Savior we have who's come until I come again, he says. You know, it's really funny, though. He could have just ended it right then. He said, all right, this is it. Bring in the resurrection, the new restoration. Woohoo! We say, why does he give us this gap of time? In 2 Peter, we get this. The Lord, he's not slow to fulfill his promise of his return, as some count slowness. He's not slow in this. But it's to be patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He says, I've given you this gap of time, these last days until I return. Why? Because I wish that none should perish, that, that more would find salvation in him, that more would be ready for his return, that he could pour out his grace more and more on people who cling to him and worship him. You and me. But then that through us, our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends, they'd be ready too. So let's take and eat. If you're following Jesus this morning, rejoice over what a Savior we have who has come and who will come again. And then pray about those names, those faces, those people you know and love, that they too might know and love this Savior who will return, who will return. Let's take and eat together.